0: Hello and welcome to Life Stories, Generation to Generation, where students on the First Generation Programme at Manchester Metropolitan University interview former students who share their wisdom, career advice and life stories with us.
1: Hello and welcome to this instalment of Life Stories, where we interview successful people to share their wisdom, career advice and life stories with us. I'm Hafsa and our special guest today is Ian Branigan. Ian is a Manchester Met alumni with a degree in Economics and European Economic History, He is now the Executive Vice President and Group Chief Risk Officer of Renaissance Re Holdings, which provides insurance and other related business services. He also represents Renaissance Re on collaborative initiatives to build resiliency in vulnerable communities around the world and lessen the impact of economic and environmental disasters. Today we are going to delve into his career path and also talk about any tips and advice that might be useful to us in our own journeys. So thank you so much for joining us today.
0: So thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this very much.
1: Oh, thank you for being here. So the first question that I wanted to ask you to get an idea of what being an executive vice president and a chief risk officer is like, is what does a typical day or week look like for you? And does it change often or does it, is it usually the same?
0: So, yeah, my, my, what I do on a day-to-day basis changes constantly, which I like quite a lot. Um, one of the characteristics of my career has been travel, so I typically travel up to two weeks a month somewhere, whether it be to one of our offices uh, or to clients or brokers that we're dealing with, or to see regulators or to some governmental thing or another. So I do a lot of travel historically. i have done a lot less in the last year, as in zero, which has been quite interesting. So my my, my daily work will be my daily travel schedule will, will change significantly going forward. Actually, today is my first day back in the office in September, So um, uh, which has been quite exciting also in terms of getting out and about. But in terms of my typically pre uh, COVID, pre lockdown, my day would start at probably six, seven in the morning, depending on where I am, six, seven in the morning um i typically would try to work from home two days a week anyway partly because i've traveled so much so days when i'm working from home i'll start earlier obviously if i'm in the office i try and be in the office by 7 730 most mornings um and my work day looks roughly like between seven and eight hours of meetings <laughs> About a whole variety of subjects. So my role as chief risk officer is very varied. So I manage everything from the company strategy through to a lot of our technology and development, which is relevant to your degree actually. Uh, technology development, a lot of our innovation, particularly around technology and development, but also actually managing risk in an organisation like ours, which is a global insurance reinsurance group, where we have both. Um, how do we think about understanding, capturing and measuring our own risk through to allocating capital against it and then reporting and understanding that is sort of the core of what 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 my role is. But then also managing um, our external supervisors, so our regulators and rating agencies that, that, that regulate us. So there's a whole slew of activity around that. In addition to managing our board of directors and ensuring that they have all the information they need to, to help us run the company. So my job is very varied, um, very, very um, um, constantly changing and has always involved, certainly for the last 25-30 years really, always involved a great deal of travel to places all over the world.
1: Yeah, so what's your favourite place you've been to? Do you get to see a lot of the country you visit or is it mostly like you're in the office and you don't?
0: So I do more now because I'm at a position where I can make more time to when I go to places, to spend a bit more time there. But I did spend probably 20 years visiting some of the most beautiful places in the world and never seeing anything but my hotel room and other people's offices. But I now did make the time, I'm able to make the time to spend in more places. Um, I would say from a work visit uh, perspective, my favourite city in the world is London. But I love going to Rome, love going to Paris and New York. Um, I've only ever had fascinating times in each of those places.
1: This role obviously keeps you very busy. Do you find it hard to find like a work-life balance?
0: Or? I failed miserably at work-life balance until probably five years ago. This review, um, Partly I relocated back from Bermuda to London, which instigated some changes in my personal life, which meant I was forced to sort of yeah. <laughs> to rethink my, my um, uh, work-life balance. So I now try more proactively manage that. I'm very conscious of it now. I'm very conscious of the time I spend with family, with my children, with my parents. I'm very conscious of when I'm with them, of being present and not always thinking about work. Huge shift, and I'm 53, kind of old and crusty. A huge shift I made in the last six months for the first time is I finally split my work phone and my personal phone i now have two phones which means i can literally put my work phone away and not look at it in the evening or over a weekend should i choose to um um, which has actually made a real difference just even in the last six months
1: yeah and have you found the pandemic has helped with that because you've probably been working from home a lot is it hard to like switch off
0: yeah so because of the nature of my job where i'm managing so my head office is in bermuda we have offices in New York, Chicago, um, California, Singapore. see um, London, Dublin, Zurich. So I'm 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 required to operate over a fairly big time zone. I tend to be on call. Quite a lot of the day for one reason or another. What the lockdowns enabled me to do is actually um, not travel. Not traveling has made a huge difference to my ability to manage my work life. Balance actually, um, yeah. and it's been uh, it's been great. It's been great for me actually. I spent a lot more time with my family, um, less so with friends because I couldn't see them obviously. But but it's been uh, great. Not being on the road so much It enabled me to make more time to 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 be very deliberate about the times that I'm working. Even if it might be late in the evening, I'll take a few hours few hours off in the afternoon to make up for that. Whereas before, I would have just been working straight through
1: ask you about your university experience since you're a ManMet alumni and um, so what was university like for you? Did you enjoy your course? Did you have anyone to support you throughout your education? Um, I know for me first gen has helped me a lot so I was just wondering did you have anything similar? Uh,
0: So my parents helped me through my uh, university back then um, it was a grant system I didn't actually get a grant so my parents had to pay for my university education. Um, I did work through it um through certainly two of the three years uh, to your first point i'd love being in Manchester, but the late eighties was a, a a great time to be in manchester it was um it was with a lot of um innovation and new stuff going on in Manchester, which led like the music scene for example yeah led the music scene across the rest of the country actually so that was very uh, that was that was that was great so I had a fabulous time my three years in Manchester and I loved Manchester Met and I did really enjoy the course, got a huge amount out of it and it kind of laid the foundations for me to get where I am both in terms of people I met but also things that I learned socially, academically, opening my eyes. One of the things I loved about being in Manchester was the very vibrant multicultural nature of it. So I got to meet a lot of people that I wouldn't have met if I'd been in my suburb in North London where I grew up actually.
1: And after you completed your degree, did you have a plan of of what you were going to do?
0: I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do when I graduated. <laughs> yeah, I took a year off and travelled across um, Asia before I went to university. Yeah, and so then I graduated in uh, in nineteen ninety, took another year off and went travelling again back to Asia, and um, had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And I woke up while I was working in Hong Kong in a, in a bar. And I woke up one morning, I'd been away for about eight, nine months at that point, travelled across um, um, India, Nepal, Thailand, uh, Malaysia, and then into into Hong Kong where I had relatives. I was working in a bar and I woke up one morning in a deep panic. I'm 21 years old, nearly 22, thinking, oh my word, what am I going to do? And so I decided I had to get back to the UK. So within three weeks I would got myself together and actually got back to the UK began thinking about where I might apply for jobs and I joined some. Um, I had an idea that I would go into the stock markets or some banking career somewhere or another, so I signed up with a load of agencies in London. So This would have been uh, late 1990. Very late 1990 um, and the first interview I got offered was at an insurance company and actually a reinsurance company which of course nobody in their right mind in 1990, age 22 would know on earth what a reinsurance company was. <laughs> so I took the interview and I took the job and that was it, if I'm honest. <laughs> so I joined an industry that nobody had heard of, didn't yeah. know a single thing about it when I started on day one and uh, 30, 30 odd years later. So it's worked out, different companies along the way, but I've been, I've been very lucky for sure, but I've also put a lot of work in.
1: And if you could go back and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would you say?
0: I would say... several things. Um, I would say... So in my experience, most businesses, most industries still operate in a, in a way where people are important. So recognizing that people, relationships, um, the way you interact with others, respect the way you respect others, the way you deal with others is critically important. And that, I don't believe that's changed much in my experience. I think you, we might read that it has changed and to some extent the digital economy changes some of that, but it's still important. So I would say really focus on, focus on that focus yeah. on getting to know and understand people. And how they work and how we we interact with each other. And then what's the best way of achieving? that be teamwork, collaboration, influence, to push along the things that you want to work on, would be something I would say to myself back then. Probably yeah. because I spent I spent a lot of time just charging really hard to try and get results without necessarily building the relationships to bring people with me along there. Yeah. So that was uh, something that I've, I've learned along the way. That'd be yeah. something I would say. The next thing I would say is keep current. Keep current and keep up, not just with technology, but just keep current. I had a boss once who was in, when it was in his 50s when I was in my 30s, and this is you know, 20 years or so ago now, and he should say to me once a month, he would buy an IT magazine, just scan through it, yeah. Just to see what's new in any kind of technology. And so my reference isn't necessarily just about technology, but keeping current on economics, politics, um, technology uh, and business would be something that you should continue to do and never give up doing.
1: And are you on social media? I find that that is one way for me to keep current on world news.
0: I was on social media. I I use LinkedIn currently now. But I was on social media. I've actually stopped using all social media except LinkedIn. Stopped using it completely because um, it wasn't actually adding any value to me in in the way that you do. I choose to read, I'm older, right? I choose to read, i read The Economist, I read the FT, I read other newspapers and keep current with other means of digital media. So social media wasn't offering anything to me from that news stroke information perspective what it was doing was consuming time catching up with looking at people's holiday photos and that that was not that was not a useful a useful piece of my time back to work-life balance it was something that I could stop doing to spend more time with the people that I see regularly and actually really care about as opposed to a broader network of people that I was really not spending constructive time spending a lot of interaction.
1: Is there anything any other advice to give your 20 year old self or even your 30 year old self?
0: Just actually, be flexible. My, the successes I've had in my career have been based around being flexible, um, and that could be, come in many forms. Could come, so if you, if you value rigidity, that will, in my experience, narrow the things that you're able to work in and narrow your ability to take opportunities when they come along. In my case, being prepared and ready to move country twice, three yeah. times realistically. Three times was a significant change factor in my career, both in from a happiness perspective, from a fulfillment perspective, but then also just from a career progress perspective. And so being flexible around things like that, being flexible around your ability to put work in when it's really needed, as opposed to strictly a nine to five schedule, for example. So generally speaking, I would say flexibility And at the end of the day, there just is no substitute for hard work, in my experience.
1: And how would you go about responding to opportunities when they came along? Were you usually flexible? Would you make a pros and cons list?
0: No, absolutely. You've got to do a thorough analysis of whether the opportunity matches many things, matches the things that you want to achieve, has a chance to help with that, matches the things that you want to be. So does the opportunity contravene any fundamental principles that you have? For example, it's something to really keep in mind. Whether they be family, you know, do you want to move away from your family? A lot of people don't. I took the decision to do that twice, so that wouldn't work for a lot of people. So that was you know, one example. So flexibility can come in many forms, but always evaluating that, that cost-benefit analysis would be important. And flexibility can be really small things. Uh, As well as big things, as well. So, I'll just generally speaking, keep an open mind and be flexible to new things and change and offer and offers that come along. And flexibility can be an important contributing factor to the way you show up at work. Um, In terms of if you're seen as somebody that somebody that a, a colleague can throw a problem at. Even though it's not necessarily your in your daily task routine to get that done, helping them get it get it done,
1: yeah, and still even like trying as well. Exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah. Being there to help others through it by offering, you know, your flexibility to do so has is, has is, is been quite important in my career for sure.
1: And like looking in hindsight, is there anything you like regret doing, or um, would have done differently?
0: um i would have listened more as a young person i spent a lot a lot of time um telling people (laughs) and not listening and um so that would be yeah definitely my in my earlier part of my career i would have i would have been would have benefited me to be a better listener than i am now and be more patient and talk a lot less to actually listen a lot more to Older people, um, I find, I find now listening to my parents' generation in their 90s enormously instructive now in a way that when I was 20, I would have dismissed that entirely as that's not useful or helpful to me. Why, why would they have anything to offer me? But actually, as I've got older, I have found the wisdom embedded within the generation above me to be fabulously instructive. And I learned that in Ireland, actually. I learned that when I moved to Ireland more than anywhere because the culture in Ireland supports that much more. And so um, that would be another th- a thing that I've, I've learned. Listening more would have benefited me a lot earlier yeah. on, not thinking I've got all the answers.
1: Is there any experience or a person that has influenced your career in any way, or like your way of thinking as well?
0: So, there's a few individuals who have been really instrumental and those 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 individuals have been senior managers or or CEOs of organizations who've. Created a framework of enablement. And so I'll give you one example um, company when I first started working in the Lloyd's market in 91 late 91 actually 92 actually in 1992 the company I joined. The three um leaders of that organization and in particular the effectively the CEO were really far sighted so back in 1992 most people were using green screen um, IBM machines to do their data entry there was very few PCs within the London insurance market at all and if you went into the Lloyd's building you could count the number of of computers on the palm of a hand back then and they were very progressive in technology and data and they Wanted to leverage different types of risk analytics using computers, which, which, as a new person coming in with a quite poorly skilled background in that, but an ability to learn and an an and an overinflated confidence that I could do, I was able to actually build out and learn. How to use computing and and data and analytics and Monte Carlo simulation for example in solving complex um, problems for risk analysis and be part of a whole new generation of risk and risk analytics that came to financial services industry and those individuals saw that opportunity and enabled me to be part of that right in the first wave which was incredibly defining for my career in two ways. One of which was to recreate that enabling um, 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 structure in every job I've been in since. But also for me to be able to be at the at the very start of a new discipline in risk analytics in financial services was a very fortunate place to be. You, you, you mentioned so experienced, and um, so I would say. Um, but several, I could name them, but I won't. Speak. People who individually <laughs> enabled that in different ways. Yeah. I have to name, there's so a David Mann at the Mann Syndicate, a man called Bill Riker at Ren um, actually a woman called Karen Clark, who opened up a company called Applied Insurance Research in the late 80s, which I was then fortunate enough to join. All enabled me, they provided an enabling framework. I think actually, the choice for me to move to Ireland, with two small children. Um, that choice was another sort of fairly, um, when I did that one was that Nineteen eighty, nineteen ninety-eight. 1998, sorry. That choice to do that was fairly influential in the rest of my career from that moment onwards. So seeing those opportunities and taking them, I, I, think, of, I think of often think of life as a series of inches and minutes or centimeters and minutes or millimeters and minutes. Time, time, time and place really matter. And If you don't take the opportunities or make the decisions when they're in front of you, you will generally miss opportunities or miss yeah. out on things that could benefit you, but could hurt you also. So I think of um, being prepared to take those opportunities when they come along has been very important to, to my life and my career for sure. But I've had several, lots of people and, and experiences that have helped and shaped me um, through my career, for sure,
1: yeah, and do you, you were saying how these people have given you like enablement? do you see yourself doing that for um your anyone who looks up to you and is um
0: not sure that anyone looks up to me, but I definitely I apply that in I have applied that as soon as I started managing people, I've, I tried to apply that and I've done that less well. Of, in some places and and better in others, but I try and provide an environment which enables other people to take responsibility. Responsibility means accepting failure as well, though, which is another important thing. Um, And so allowing other people to take that responsibility in the knowledge that you have to let them fail as well, otherwise people don't learn if they don't fail. I definitely embodied that in um, in my management of others and management of environments in the last 20, 25 years for sure.
1: Speaking of failure, I wanted to ask you, have you ever failed? And if so, what, what did you learn from it?
0: I failed more times than you could shake a stick at. failed at everything. Uh, and <laughs> got to learn, right? So my thing is, my, my philosophy has always been fail, fail early, don't do it twice. But I've, I've made so many mistakes. I think the one I, I referenced to an earlier question about listening more, that was kind of a that was a decadal mistake. I probably did that <laughs> for 10 years. I, that was one mistake. And what I've learned from that is if only I had listened more, I would have been more effective in certain areas over a long period of time. Um, one thing I, I failed at recently, I do a lot of cycling and I haven't done this year, actually, funny enough, but I did a lot of quite heavy duty cycling over a period of years. It was a big goal of mine um, six, seven years ago. I successfully achieved the cycling goals that I'd had for the first two years that I laid out some goals to do that. And in the third year when I went to, what I was doing was I was doing three stages of the Tour de France each summer. So I went back for the third year to to do it again. We were doing four stages actually this year. And I, I just didn't put enough training in. Complacent because I'd succeeded the two years prior I just didn't put enough training in and I failed catastrophically at that. And that was two thousand and eighteen. So very recently. Failed horribly. I had to go home early. It's was quite ill. Yeah. Um, and what that was a reminder of something I said earlier on, which is gotta put the hours in. You just if you don't train and practice and train and practice, things don't happen well. And so don't be complacent. I've learned a lot through that process. It was fairly um humiliating. To say yeah. that this.
1: <laughs> Did you ever go back or?
0: I've not been back since that was 2018 and then 2019 I couldn't go oh. back for other reasons and then Covid kicked in so I've not been back yet yeah. but my goal is to get back uh, next year.
1: I think that actually leads us to our final question which is do you have any plans for the future or anything you want to work on?
0: Yeah, I think my my, so a longer term plan I have you referenced it in in the introduction the work that I do on um, um, disaster risk management and resilience around the less developed world I see myself spending a lot more time on that bringing the capabilities and um, risk analytics risk modeling skills capabilities that exist within within the insurance industry to Mm -hmm. bear into that space is something that I've spent Quite a bit of time on for the last five years. I see myself doing a lot more of that um, mm. over the next 10 years. That's something I'm going to focus on a lot, actually. I think um, I do see myself as focusing on how can I allocate more time to enable others to have, to be as lucky as I've been, actually to have the opportunity and be as lucky as I've been in other, in other places, hence my support for the, um, for the MMU programmes. Um, that's an, that's something I'll spend a lot more time on going forward, mm. and I think I will I will go back to travelling more. Um, certainly post work, whenever that is in the future. But spend I see myself spending long periods of time overseas in different places, mm. as opposed to shorter trips.
1: Has the pandemic kind of changed what you had planned, and kind of changed the work you do and kind of the industry?
0: It's affected, It hasn't affected our business too much, apart from the fact that we, well, in a few ways, but we insured pandemic losses, so that's been one. Yeah. Um, so we're sort of right at the seat of understanding how the um, financial impacts of the pandemic are playing their way across both the insurance, broader financial services, and the economy of the world. Is something I've had to focus on a lot in the last year. Um, So it's impacted us in in that regard. From a workflow uh, process and structure perspective, I think it's, it's, I see this not just in our industry. One thing it's done is it's demonstrated to a lot of people, particularly people over 30, let's say, I'll just pick an age group, maybe 40, that the digitalization of the economy can happen much faster than they might've thought it would. And that would include digitalization of of the insurance industry, for example, and then within my organization, of the way we process, do things, and manage workflow and get activities done. Um, I think those, that group, that 35, 40 plus group who are maybe more reticent to make the shifts, have been forced to see that so many things can be achieved without loss of efficiency. In fact, probably with gain of efficiency in a digital manner as opposed to a physical manner so I see that changing the trajectory of the digitalization of the insurance economy whatever you thought that stretchy was at the beginning of 2020 multiply it exponentially in some way or another and it because it's it's coming really fast now and you can see it so that's been a big change for our industry I think
1: So I think that brings us to the end of our questions so thank you so much for joining us today Ian. We discussed Ian's journey from met to Vice President and CRO of Renaissance Reholdings. We learn about the tips and advice we can follow as well as the mistakes we should avoid to be most successful, such as listening, planning and keeping current for our future.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you're a first generation scholarship student, there are many other wonderful activities for you to take part in, so make sure you keep up to date with the programme on offer. Make sure you tune into our other podcast where we interview more Manchester Metropolitan alumni.